0: Right, so today I'm in Allenheads, which is at the top of the Pennines, and I've come to meet Alan Smith. And uh, Hello, Alan. Hello. And uh, we are seated in your caravan which is this tiny little space which is surrounded by bits and pieces. It feels very kind of personal with all sorts of little, little bits and bobs. Is this your creative hub would you say for where the nerve center of your operation? I certainly spend
1: a lot of time in here. Not just doing but some a lot of thinking and over the years of course I like the fact that I've accumulated things that are you know books by friends and colleagues and videos and films and stuff there's yeah. just stuff it's everywhere yeah wires yeah. hanging about the place
0: and do you i mean i feel almost quite a little bit privileged to be in here is it an open space do you welcome people in or is it actually quite a private oh, I space? Very, I
1: very much it well it, it's a bit of both really it's it's largely mine i'm very aware that it's mine But I guess I I really enjoy inviting people into it anyway, because there is a bit of a, ooh, when people can see it on their faces when they come in. Yeah. It does take people by surprise. It's a scruffy old box from the outside.
0: So have you always had this as, as, is this like your ideal space? Or would you secretly like a great big, enormous studio with with loads of assistants and white cube and all the rest of it?
1: Absolutely no, no, no. I mean, because it's sited on the playground of the schoolhouse. It's the playground. That's really it, that is my white space. That is my cube. <laughs> you know, so it which is nice is it doesn't have walls. It's it's infinite. It goes on to the fells. So it all feels very natural. This is a place that's convenient for, of course, for audio and video editing, really. But no, the the, the shed is important to me. All the hardware that's in there, plus my motorcycles, the greenhouse. I don't separate them. And Fluxus, of course, the other caravan is is my mobile studio. So
0: that one does travel. Right. Yes, so I should say that we are in the old school building. We are situated in the most amazing place on a hillside. It feels like it's in the middle of nowhere, overlooking down into the valley and the village. And so it's like this kind of almost like an eagle's nest. And and you're surrounded, as you say, by hills and open countryside. Mm. It is the most amazing place, isn't it? And so, the playground of the school building is your extended studio space yes yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah
1: i i i rarely work in the schoolhouse it's, right it's, it's if I'm making stuff it's it's all it's over here, really, and most of the work I'm making is actually outdoors anyway it's it's out in the fells or the fields in the village it's 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 around it's everywhere around i don't i guess I've learned to not discriminate and and it's it's for me it'd be a little bit claustrophobic
0: to think that I had to do everything in a studio and I love the idea that a playground is play is, is such an essential part Absolutely. of creativity and yeah. making so to be yeah. in a playground is is, is perfect really yeah. Yeah. yeah
1: and 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 yeah and in many respects I suppose the way that I I do work it is it is kind of childlike in that I, I don't I don't switch off and think now I'm going to be the carpenter in the in the in the shed, or the gardener in the greenhouse, or the digital artist in the studio. Yeah, it's 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 much more. It's become, and particularly over the last three years, much more about myself, like a child really. You know, a child gets lost in games.
0: They play. They. I think there's so much overlap between art and childhood and art and that almost naive accessing of those basic creative urges and and instincts and and Mm. kind of funneling some of that I think Mm. that's really part of it isn't it Definitely. definitely yeah well maybe we should introduce your work and and I'd love to talk a little bit about it how would you describe what you do as in your as an artist
1: gosh um with, with, with some difficulty, actually, because um, I'm not a fan of over-categorising. And there's a lot to, perhaps, the way the way I am is the way I work. And there's a lot of sharing involved. Um, the work that I've made below ground, for example, I've, I've made with other people. Um, like the three days underground, the chthonic period with uh, John Bowers, uh, Louise K. Wilson, Peter Matthews. And we all travelled underground and stayed, yeah 72 hours. But, wow. it, but it was about sharing the experience, and um, it was over in Nented and Smallcloth Mine. I didn't know how we were going to respond to it. I didn't know how our behaviour might change. It, it was the fact that I did, we didn't know, I guess, and uh, it was myself that brought up brought the project together. I had no idea what was going to happen, you know, and, and that for me was part of the excitement of it. Of course, as an artwork, it there was not really an audience and actually we didn't like the idea of audience so when we were in the planning we had to think it all through very carefully because we didn't want I really didn't want it to be like a piece of performance art with people coming and watch you doing things so we decided that we would have people in on the final day to visit us and they were our visitors rather than our audience, if you get my drift. But all the time down there, it was... um, We did do some work down there. We did some experiments in sound and in video also. But largely, we were just being there. And it was amazing how our sleep patterns changed. Intense... dream intensity was massive. And then the sort of um, hallucinogenic quality of darkness was producing all manner of madness, really. really. Crazy stuff going on. With me losing it, actually for a period of time down there I actually lost it I'd got up and I don't know whether it was day or night because of course there's no daylight down there and everyone's candles were out so I woke in total darkness and then decided that I'd go and carry on making some work which I was further up through the level there's this amazing pond with crystal clear water in it so I was doing a lot of filming there and I took myself up perhaps I shouldn't have done it alone but I did and went into the water and I was filming and, by nature, getting cold. And I thought I'd go back to the base in the ballroom. The ballroom was the the, the space that we were occupying. And I'd, I'd look at the footage. And while I was looking at the footage, I climbed into my sleeping bag looking at the footage and I just fell asleep. And then I woke up. And when I woke up, the other three were awake and doing stuff. And I couldn't remember whether I'd actually gone up into the water or whether it was a dream. And I couldn't, I couldn't separate reality from. Wow. And it's illogical, I know, but I didn't think of looking at the camera to see what I'd been doing. Instead, I just sat there puzzled. I was completely consumed by this mystery, and it was John Bowers actually he came over and he asked me, um, "Are you all right, Alan?" And I said, "I'm not sure I am, actually, John. I'm not sure I am. I was, I was really freaked out." Really freaked out. Even now talking about it makes me makes me yeah, a bit unsettled. You're,
0: you Yeah, know? you you seem that that way. Yeah, it's, quite no, it's it's
1: it's really quite. It was really quite something. I, I in some ways, I, I think that project really sums up the way that I I like to engage with people and engage with situations. You know, I I, I really do believe that art, for me personally, art has to be made through experiences that we've had, not just knowledge. The, the doing it was everything. And even when the people came in, we had approximately 30, 35, 36 people coming in to visit us in three different trips. And we'd organized uh, mind guides to bring them in. And that was really something as well, actually, to have people come in and just chat and ask you what it was, what it'd been like. So the delivery of the information was in many respects. That was,
0: that was the work. That was the sharing of the work. And I wanted to talk also about your project called Nothing. Yeah. Do you want to describe that to me and, and, uh, um, or introduce that a little bit? It, it uh,
1: oof. That, n- nothing took me by surprise, to be honest. I was, I was doing nothing. I was suffering really badly with asthma. Really, really badly. I'd be trying to go for walks with a dog, and my asthma was so bad that it would actually force me to stop And it's kind of an interesting thing. It occurred to me that usually when we go out on a walk, we'll decide where to stop, either because we're hungry and we want something to eat or drink, or because we've seen something. So we're selective about what we're actually seeing, you know, with the the view, the vista might cause you, give you a reason to stop and stand still. Of course, the asthma was my decider, and I'd be finding myself standing in places that perhaps I wouldn't normally have decided to stop. And having to stand and get my breath back again, um, I'd be stood there and looking and listening. So I'd be looking, seeing and listening to things that I wouldn't normally stand in, And And this, this had gone on for some time and um, I I'd really became something quite contemplative, you know, that realization that I'm, I need to stop now. And then I would actually pay attention, pay more attention to, to, to where I was. And uh, it was usually a roundabout a minute minute and a half and I could just trek off again and it was so bad I mean god sometimes I'd only walk about 10 20 meters 50 meters and I'd have to stop again and wow. again and again it really was very concerning but but I kept pushing myself out there and uh, yeah I just I just suddenly thought oh my, my phone's in my pocket you know I think I'll take a photograph of where I'm at and that went on for a little while a few days and then I started to shoot video of where I was and I'm not sure what, what the, why I decided, but it, it was like um, wherever I was, I'd, I'd look at three different points and I'd start looking at plants and I'd start looking at things. Over, over time, I, I started to engage with the, with the flora, fauna, the landscape in a way that was completely different to before. It was, it was really quite something, actually, to, be, you know, to live in a place for about 25 years and then find another way to look at it. And this, of course, was just before covid so I'd started to accumulate these daily, it wasn't even daily, it was every time I went for a walk I'd see something. So there were no
0: restrictions
1: on how many per day I would shoot, but it was always in sets of three.
0: So what we need to say is that then those sets of three little snippets of video, Yeah. the genius element for my, for my money is then how you then chose to format them and mm. present them as this seemingly endless, rolling, visual, mesmerising um, yeah. display of the work in a grid that's, what is it, um, three by three and constantly changing and evolving. Yeah, they're like
1: three columns of three videos. Then the sequence is constructed with a new video appearing every 2.3 seconds and then it remains, each video will remain visible for 19.7 seconds. Wow. Wow. And nineteen point seven. I mean, this is contested. People have different ideas about it, but it's claimed to be the the average length of time that anybody spends looking at an artwork in a museum. So I thought I'd use that as um, it kind of fits in with perhaps our attention span. But of course, because you've got nine videos and they're all changing, clicking over rhythmically, I find it pulls people in. So it, it's very attention. It, it put it. Absorbs people, so that, they they pay attention to it. That,
0: that's the funny thing. It really does. It really does. It is. It is. Maybe it is like the magic number nineteen point seven seconds. Possibly, you know. Maybe you know. Maybe it is. I don't but, know. But, it, but it it does keep pulling you in because it the refresh rate is just right, so you're almost constantly on a loop of what's next, and and it's just this it's just mesmerizing. I think.
1: Well, the other the other factor, of course, is because each column is different, and the weather might change, or the times of day might be changing, the setting is different every time a new video clicks around you've got you've got a new composition yes when you look at it overall so if you mean if you look at it as a colour field thing it's it's uh...
0: and tell me how you select the the choices because on the one hand it's called nothing and it's kind of arbitrary you, you stop somewhere and you shoot what's what's around you but as you say also it is incredibly composed in a way or it, it seems very tight aesthetically mm. so it's not complete arbitrary randomness no no
1: no 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 No, but i, th- I think that even if you're forced to stand somewhere where you had not perhaps given any thought to you you still make visual value judgments so it's more about finding yeah. something in wherever you happen I, to I, be I, th- I think we do that by nature anyway i think i think people do that we, we all do that if you're in a traffic jam if you're stuck in that traffic jam for an extended period of time, you'll
0: find things to look at. And, well, your eyes is ex- ex- extremely good because, I say, that I find them visually very alluring and it suddenly occurred to me also just as we've been talking just now going back to the 19.7 seconds and and that keeping you hooked in so I'm interested in art and the internet and and the way stuff has moved online and the the attention economy how we how we become addicted to our phones and kind of keep Mm -hmm. being drawn back online it's almost like a similar mechanism in some ways that, that it, it, it just keeps refreshing at just the right rate to mm. keep you hooked, yeah, to yeah, keep you there yeah. in a way that the online environment does. You know, it doesn't let you go once, you, once you're there in front of your screen. Mm. Something's being fed to you that is sufficiently alluring to keep you keep you looking.
1: I think there's a natural rhythm that we have anyway for... for, uh, for um... Maybe the way we receive information, it was it was driving back from Allendale this morning, there was somebody on the radio talking about education, actually. And they were saying that uh, perhaps education should be slowed down. Go on. Because education is actually sped up, perhaps, with the technologies. And children are being given information, 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 with no time to contemplate or
0: consider what that information meant to them. That is interesting because they they are there is also conversations around the whole online environment about slowing things down because we we are being overloaded with with inf- information we're being deluged with stuff yeah. to try and yeah. process.
1: So you have to accept it as fact. You, you have yeah, yeah. to think about you, it and you
0: can't pause it. So how can we somehow slow <coughs> things down a bit to re engage with things more meaningfully, more fully? Well, I think COVID was the the
1: for me was the the, the, the great teacher. (laughs) It taught, it taught me um, how to behave and see and respond differently. Alan Alan Heads, as you know, it's such a quiet place anyway, but of course having to um, go through that lockdown that first year and into the second year as well. The first year in particular, the intensity was, it was massive. Massive. And I think that's when the title Nothing came about really, uh, because nothing was happening, apparently. Nothing was happening. And I'd walk around the village, I'd walk across the fells, just me and the dog, and I would see no one, absolutely no one. And sometimes I'd find me and Norman the dog. We'd, we'd be sat in the fells in a blizzard perhaps in the winter, you know, and we'd just be looking out and, and that realisation that I just sat there for, for no purpose, you know. It wasn't an arts project, I was I just sat there. I, I, I've started to despise the word project actually. I, I, it, it does my head in, because a project, a project suggests that it has a beginning and an end point, you know? So there has to be a conclusion, or there has to be there's a beginning and an end, and and perhaps the infinite nature of nothing at the moment, I mean the third year, says something more to me. I'm
0: not sure if I'll go into four years, I don't know, but... Well, yes, we should say that it's, you're still going. I mean, the, that ability to, to stay with it and to, to keep on doing it... I find that impressive as well because sometimes I find in my own work that you know I start something with a good intention and I don't manage to just keep on mm. trucking with it. Mm. Has that just been easy for you to do, or have you had to kind of work at it? I'm, I'm very
1: aware that it's it's changed. Each year has been very very different. The first year it was the intensity of it was it was almost like oh with nothing happening <laughs> everything had become almost in high definition. And having that privilege of time to, as I say, just go out there and for no reason, but be out there. Wow, it changed completely the way that I'd engage with the
0: landscape and with the place. I think for a lot of people I mean everybody there's so many different flavours of lockdown and you know how people dealt with it but for for some people at least it was a getting off of the hamster wheel wasn't it there's absolutely get off the hamster wheel for a bit and suddenly whoa you've got some time mm-hmm. you've got a fresh perspective you're, you're standing back from what you were just taking for granted or mm-hmm. what you were doing or the routine that had become just this continual exercise and suddenly you see things afresh.
1: And as and as you know, you, you've worked with us here uh, on a couple of projects and at conference and you've seen the way that the projects were getting bigger and bigger. The number of artists that would be involved in one project, the final project, God, it was massive. It was, I can't even remember how many. Of was it 30-something, 30, 30 40-something? I can't even remember. But all of that and the Casonic pro you know, the Casonic with, with three other people, I hadn't realised, but over the last 27 years, I'm I'm constantly in dialogue with someone which invents the project, which it creates the way you're going to be doing something and thinking about something because, I mean, that's the beauty, of course, of collaboration, is that you, we do feed one another. But what I hadn't had in 27 years was a space of time, real time, alone, with no intent. And it was Bill Aitchinson, actually, another artist who's worked here with us, when he first saw um, nothing, he he said the, the loveliest thing that I, I I stick with, and he talks about the um, the importance of casting a net, without knowing what's there. Oh, that's
0: nice, yeah? isn't it? That's really nice.
1: And in many respects, that's how nothing began. It it all coincidentally came together, and then of course when COVID came in, it was almost like COVID had put the meaning into nothing, or or changed the meaning of nothing, or the substance of nothing. And at a time when nothing was going on, I found that there was much more going on actually.
0: (laughs) Well, I I think it's a fantastic work. And I think it's the timing of it, as you say, coinciding with lockdown and providing that kind of sense of reflection. And it is almost like a meditation on that time period uh, in many ways mm. and and I just think it's a fantastic piece of work so tell me finally on on, on nothing so you've shown it I think did you show it last year shown, in, in France, in France you're gonna, yeah, sh- and you're yeah, it uploading was... it now to China
1: yeah it's going off to China next um,
0: and is um, that um, and what 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 is the context of that show then
1: that's going to be showing the first two years of it
0: and they'll be shown side by side well it's a fantastic piece of work and uh yeah no really really wonderful and hopefully sometime we'll see it in the UK.
1: Oh yeah yeah yeah. Yeah I I I mean th- this is another bizarre thing of, actually it's, it's and this is another covid related I I want to show it and I think it deserves to be installed. Can you imagine how it would be with at the end of year 3 with three projections. You'd walk into a room and you'd be totally surrounded with by time I guess i think it'd be absolutely stunning but for the life of me I, I i can almost not be bothered you know i'm living it i don't i don't know that i need to show it and it was lovely when when i was invited to to exhibit it but um and i'm really chuffed that it's it's going out there but it's I uh, i don't know to gain that excitement to get that generate that excitement about looking for
0: venues and Well, I think I think you've hit on a really interesting point because there are so many different flavours to being an artist and the the making of the work is often the most exciting bit, the most fun bit, the the most childlike bit, that bit where it's just almost pure play. And then there's the the hard grind and the heavy lifting of finding somewhere to show it, Mm -hmm. you know, getting it funded, getting an audience, the project side of it, which you are saying that you kind of rebelling Mm -hmm. against. And that's difficult and that's hard and it's, you know, it's difficult to kind of sometimes, but you do want to do the thing justice, but you don't want to take away from the, the fun of the creation and it's getting that balance, isn't it? Right. It is. Well, maybe on that note, we should pause and have a cup, cup of, of tea, tea. Yep. and um, wonderful. Thank you. Right so we are back after a cup of tea for me and for you and rich tea biscuits thank you very much and we've moved indoors out from the caravan because i wanted to talk to you a little bit about the alan heads contemporary arts project that you've set up and we're joined by helen helen ratcliffe hi hello, hello helen um, who's the co-founder of the alan heads contemporary arts project, is that right? That's right, yeah. And you set up ACA here, Mm -hmm. and well, how did you end up here, and why did you decide to set set it up?
2: I don't know how far to go back with that story really, but I suppose, I suppose (coughs) in leaving the United States in 91, we've carried with us this idea to find a place where we would love to live, a beautiful place, and where we would continue to keep our network of friends and colleagues and artists sort of internationally. So it was never to retreat to the hills. It was never to isolate, and live in a sort of um, chocolate box world. Um, it was to be somewhere dynamic, but I suppose opposite to the the frenzied New York life that we'd been living for about four or five years.
1: I'd gone to um, America to do an MA. We'd. <coughs> I'd, I'd, I'd been offered by one of the professors, I'd been offered his, um, his hill, or mountain as he called it, to live on because Helen had said she wanted a place in the country mm-hmm. and I'd, so that, that was, my, that was absolutely my solution to it was to find this, this hill and we put a tent up on it and a small awning where we'd cook under and it was in this most heavenly spot. The flowers in the meadow were incredible, weren't they? In They'd Massachusetts, yeah. and, as, and as the sun would come up, the colours would change in the meadow, you know. And we had waterfalls that we'd, have, we'd bath in uh, in the mornings before we'd go into university. Um, but we actually lived up there. But the question that occurred while we were there was, why is it... That, this is back in the 80s. Why is it that there were never any opportunities for um, artists in rural, extreme rural settings? And as Helen was just saying, then we eventually moved down to New York City and lived. But that idea, that thought never left us about living somewhere or (coughs) offering residentials in a place as remote as this.
0: Yes, and it really is a little slice of paradise in a way. I, I call it The Magic Mountain. I don't know if you know that. but I, it, I, Well, and the story behind that is that I started trying to read a book called The Magic Mountain by yeah. Thomas Mann, and I never got to the end of it. It was too dense for me, but it was basically set high up in the Alps. And I think it was like a sanatorium for, for people to retreat to. I think from Shell Shock. it's a novel, mm. and they all just sit around all day and kind of contemplate life, the universe and everything. But it's in this kind of really magical setting. And I came here for a residency with you, thank you very much, a while ago, is how I came to know you. And I felt that I was retreating out of mm. the world as i as i drove closer and up the, the, the hill up here it felt like i was coming to this really kind of magical place where time does almost seem to stop still and you do feel as though somehow the dynamic is just very different isn't it do you feel that living here or maybe you don't so much it's it's become yeah, the normal i don't know
2: i do feel it and i i suppose i struggle with that a little bit because sometimes it's wonderful to just contemplate and be somewhere And other times, your head just gets a bit cluttered with all the things that you ought to be doing Um, just to get to the coast or to see. I'm always interested in what's over the horizon, what's around the corner, what's a little bit further. So as beautiful as it is, I do get a bit stir-crazy when we're here all the time.
0: In the nicest possible way I can imagine that because it is fantastic as a retreat and when I've been here and then gone back to kind of normality or reality yeah. or a kind of another way of living it is that kind of compare and contrast but it is this fantastic place and as you say in contrast to the urban gallery setting or the kind of yeah. art in, in many ways and how do you think that then manifests itself in the type of art that you support and the type of artists who come along? Is it a different flavour of, of uh, projects? I shouldn't use the word project, should I? No, <laughs> you can use the word project.
1: <laughs> I, th- I, think, I think over time the, the way that we've worked with artists has evolved. I think that ear- earlier on I had the idea, that I did think that it'd be nice to call ACA filter. There's that idea that um, as people travel through that they actually leave something behind. So with you in residence or, and all the other people in residence <coughs> that have been here over the years, it might be us that's instigating the opportunity to come in residence but from the first people coming here they'd always leave something behind that would influence the next movement mm-hmm. for ACA Right. so it's not simple I, I don't we, we don't see it as a, as a, as a matter of fact sort mm-hmm. of now we'll do this project they, they have there isn't like an evolution that goes on yeah. through them um,
0: so each iteration <laughs> carries forward something from, from the previous yeah. one or builds on yeah. or amplifies or modifies in yeah. a way.
2: It does. I mean, the fact that you're here now, the fact that we had great conversations last night, that you will be meeting other local friends when you return, that's that's part of that evolution. And it's it's great. And many people do come back and sort of friendships grow and the networks grow and work can come out of that too. So it's, it is all one sort of process. But it was interesting when you asked the question and you compared it to or you asked us to compare it to the sort of urban gallery scene. And that seems much more like a like a treadmill and with a sort of preparation time and then a delivery time and then your public interface time. And to be honest, in the beginning here, artists, even though it was all about the process here and it's all about taking time in this space and responding to it. We never imported artists for their work and put up exhibitions. All the work has been made as a result of being here, researching and thinking and living in this space. Very often artists have come with an idea and totally quashed it and rethought and completely reinterpreted their ideas after this experience. But I think that um, in the beginning even, we hadn't quite got off the treadmill when we were here, and we'd give artists like a two-month residency, and then a deadline for an exhibition, and then all the public stuff, and all the events, and education, interaction, and the machinery was, you know, churning away, producing all, the, all these events and these results, outcomes, as they say. Um, and we realised that the art, even though it was a fairly generous, long residency of two months, Artists were forever aware of that looming deadline. There was a countdown, there was a plan, there was a routine that worked towards it. And we've just sort of scrapped that. And the end result is, is always there's always a gathering, a reflection, and there's always some sort of presentation, but it's not about the exhibition. It's not about the doors opening at five o'clock and will we get crowds coming in. It's about that whole process of the artists meeting other artists and members of the public, local community, Friends, colleagues, uh, people from other disciplines. We've worked with many scientists, astronomers, (coughs) uh, philosophers, and it's about all those intersections. Human geographers,
0: yeah. And how has ACA been received by um, the people, the communities around here? And how have you found integrating (laughs) a a contemporary art project in 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 an out of the way rural community area?
2: In the in the beginning. we were sort of pioneers, if you like, or it, it was something very new at that time. There were other models, you know, internationally where contemporary arts organisation had set up in rural settings, but it hadn't really taken root in this country, and we actually applied to Arts Council, and they said that uh, the demographic wasn't suitable, that we'd never get an audience, we'd never it get insufficient, people. insufficient, the words were insufficient it, catchment. In sufficient population catchment up here. so they, I mean... They wouldn't endorse that now, yeah. but at the time we were categorically told we, there wasn't enough catchment. And it's a well-known story, but we had the first event here that we had without their funding. They must have taken some interest because uh, some of the officers came to an event and, um, and they couldn't get in the door because we were at full capacity. The, the, the exhibition, the main, the main wow. classroom was yes. chock-a-block and there was a queue outside the building to the gates. And the two arts officers who had told us there was not enough catchment were standing in a queue to, and they had to wait. To yeah, yeah. So it was very satisfying. Wow. Yeah. wow. But I think that in the but beginning. So
1: we, yeah, that's really important to add, though, that they were not giving us any money at all. Yeah. So we took it upon ourselves to, to prove them wrong, I guess, and finance stuff ourselves. So we were working elsewhere and making money and then yeah. investing it in. And uh, so we, we proved them wrong, basically. But to. Go back to the arrival here. We were the first. We um, were the first of the newcomers into the village. There were no others. And when we moved in, we couldn't come immediately into the schoolhouse because, first of all, it took eighteen months to negotiate a lease with Lord Allendale. I think they were suspicious of us. You know, two people I, bleached blonde hair. I think <laughs> <laughs> first strange but true. Yeah, and um, they didn't. They didn't really trust us. So the 18 months it took to actually sign the lease on the building, and then of course we had to fix the building up. It was there pretty much. During that time, that was crucial to our acceptance in the village. I think, because for those 18 months, we lived in the cottage down below, right in the village there, with Nellie Peart as a next door neighbour and uh, Kelly Goodfellow, and you know, all these neighbours got to know us as Alan and Helen, and not the you know, a big pool of money that's been dropped in to open up this, this contemporary arts centre in Allenhead.
0: So they got to know us as Alan and Helen first. So, you know, it, yes, and that sounds as though it's kind of really important and the right way around. Absolutely. But you weren't parachuted in with no. Arts Council money and and here it is yeah. and you're going to have this art, you know, brand new art space. Yeah. You, 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 have, you literally yeah. had to fight for it and make it Absolutely. happen and, and win people over. Yeah.
2: We, we made friends. we, <laughs> We are. We were very um, social people, so we'd often pop in the pub, cafe, invite people back for dinner, and over the sort of two years that it took, almost um, all those people had our backs. Then we and they were rooting for us and celebrating when we actually moved in, helping us. Um, there's there's a, a lovely story thing.
1: about women and seeing washing going up in the garden. Yeah,
2: and how lovely it was to see signs yeah. of life up in the hill again. Yeah, the lights on and the washing on the line. Oh. So yeah, it, we, we sort of brought the community with us and we did a lot, we did a lot of um, children's workshops and a lot of community involvement in the early days uh, and we still do, but it was sort of...
1: Boy, we, we grew to a massive... It, it, all of our projects were getting bigger. Yeah. Every project, one after the other, they'd get bigger with more artists, more involvement, more organisation, more conferences exhibitions and it was, it was just growing and growing every, you know, and and I, I dare say that without COVID there'd been another project and that might've been even bigger, but I suppose that space of time, that, that three years that we've had, I'm not sure I want to go back on that treadmill at yeah. the speed it was going. We, we, we were sprinting all of the time, you know, we were flat out. Well, it's
0: incredible what you were doing and what you were achieving and, and uh, yeah, the, the work rate and, the, and you know, it probably is, is probably absolutely the right move to, to have a reset and to, to simplify and go back to the, the core values mm-hmm. and not burn out and feel you've got yeah. to yeah. you know yeah, yeah, keep on treading on the treadmill. Well, that's fantastic. And so thank you very much for having this conversation with me and telling me all about your work and about ACA, the both of you. It's a fantastic project, fantastic space. A real magic mountain so long may it continue and thank you very much thank you, thank
1: you.
0: Thanks for listening to this episode of Something To Do With Art. I hope you enjoyed the conversation. I'd love to hear your thoughts and feedback via social media and check out the podcast notes for links and further information. That's it for this episode. Many thanks to the very wonderful Beric Livingston for the music, Danielle Blyde for logo design, and to everyone who has taken part and helped me with this project. I hope to catch up with you again soon.